0: This week, I received an email from uh, Tom Rainer's group. He's kind of a research uh, guru, does surveys and advises churches and all that sort of thing. You may be familiar with him. But He had a webinar this week entitled, uh, I think I got it close, if not right, Seven Measures of Church Health in a Post-COVID World. I thought, well, that would be interesting to listen to. So I took a listen to it, took about an hour, and here's the gist of it. If I can, I think I put it on screen here for you. By the way, our message this morning, the characteristics of a healthy church. Okay, Rainer and his group said, uh, the seven ways to diagnose the health of your church in a post-COVID world is, number one, to evaluate your worship attendance. And what he said we needed to evaluate was whether the attendance was growing or not, or increasing since the time that you started back. And we we certainly can see evidence of that this morning, so uh, that's good. I think we can check that off. Number two, he said uh, you want to look at your weekly per capita giving. And uh, he went on to say, and this was intriguing to me, the average per capita giving... In American churches today is $32 per person per Sunday. Now that includes kids and everybody. You take your your weekly offering and divide it by your attendance. I, I did a rough estimate of ours this morning looking at our bulletin, and we're double that $64 per person in attendance. Now we're probably double because we've got a lot of faithful people that are not with us in person that are giving through the Dropbox or their. Uh, Uh, you know through the credit card or whatever but uh i I think we're good there then uh, number three lead measure and and i'm not even going to try to explain this but it's not talking about leadership it's talking about metrics for evaluating a number of things i'm just going to skip on down to digital attendance they said one thing we got to look at and understand is that part of your attendance is digital it's well we've we've been working on that and uh I don't know. We have a number of people. I haven't really checked the numbers uh, recently, but for a while at least, there was like 250 people looking at our uh, Facebook uh, live stream per week, maybe more. And then we got YouTube, we got Twitter, and all that. So uh, you got to kind of think of that as part of your attendance these days. We checked that off. Then he talked about a uh, prayer coverage, and and one thing that most. Uh, all churches are doing better at during these try, trying times is praying. And I think we could uh, say the same for us here. You know, when when things are difficult, when things are not as they should be or we hope to be, it, it does motivate us to pray. Then he talked about Great Commission growth, which is basically adding to your church membership and uh, we've baptized two last week. We got more to baptize coming up soon. So the Lord is blessing there. And finally, he said, "There's uh, this matter of small groups thriving and being connected to the whole of the body." And and I want to say a personal thank you to your Sunday school teachers. Uh, some of you have been meeting in person now for a while. Some classes are still meeting uh, by way of the Zoom app. At least a couple, I think, maybe three. I a new class uh, opened up again today upstairs. Uh, can't remember the name of it, but anyway, uh, the classes have been faithful. And some have to meet by Zoom because we don't. their class is such size, we don't have a place they can space out enough. So I want to I thank those of you who remain so faithful in those matters. And of course, we have our, our Wednesday night uh, Morning Mercies group. We've got the Men's Fellowship. We've got a lot of other small groups as well. And uh, that's a sign of health within the church. Now, what I want you to notice about all these things... And uh, they're nice things to look at and think about as we evaluate where we're at as a church. But here's something I want you to note about all these things you see on screen. They're all external measures. Things you can see, things you can count, things that you can evaluate statistically. And I'm thankful to the Lord. I think we're, we're measuring up uh, as far as uh, the the vast majority of these things go. But here's here's what I want to take us this morning. Here's what I want you to understand. That there are internal measures that you cannot necessarily see on a regular week-by-week basis. Foundational characteristics that indicate church is doing what it should be doing, and that is, so to speak, healthy. Now, not, nothing against the external measures, like I say, those are good. But when Paul addresses the Thessalonian church in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, he mentions some things that he, well, he commends them for. He praises them for, and he points out, as he introduces the letter of 2 Thessalonians. And by the way, we're moving to 2 Thessalonians now. We did 1 Thessalonians early in the summer, finished that. We took a look at, uh, I think it was about seven different psalms over the summer. And uh, we want to come back now and take a look at 2 Thessalonians. Now, 2 Thessalonians was written only a short while after Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians. It was a most most all scholars agree it wasn't long, maybe a few months. Paul was not there, obviously. that's why he's writing. God's inspired his writing and and gave him the words here to address the church, and that's great because we have these things now as God's inspired word that helps us understand what a church should be and how we should handle things and what we should be doing and so on. so what we find here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is Paul was generally pleased with the Thessalonian church. He had good things to say about him when he wrote the first letter. He has good things to say about him as he writes the second letter. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, there were still some issues. There were still some struggles and problems they had and uh, things that uh, they needed instruction on. That's going, to con- that's going to occupy the balance of 2 Thessalonians. But we're going to begin with this matter where he is is thankful for them. He, He is introducing this letter. And what he mentions here and what he commends them for, I think are what we would call internal characteristics of a healthy church. There we go. And our goal obviously, I think, should be, the goal of every church should be to be a healthy church. And by healthy, I mean to be what God intended, to function as God intended, to accomplish God's will. We are, after all, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ in this world. So uh, we should be interested in what it is that makes us a healthy church. And so we have to ask the question, well, what, what does make us a healthy church? From, from a real foundational standpoint, an internal standpoint that then, that then produces some of those external measures uh, that uh, Mr. Rayner looked at. Number one, a healthy church will have a developing faith, a developing faith. Let's look at chapter one, verse one. Paul, Sylvanus, by the way, Sylvanus, the old English. Uh, translation of the word Silas. And uh, you wouldn't pronounce it exactly Silas in the Greek, but it would be closer to Silas than Sylvanus. So I'm not quite sure uh, how they got Sylvanus, but anyway, Silas was one of Paul's associates and evangelists. Paul, he's writing, and with him is Silas and Timothy. And he's writing to the church in Thessalonica. So he says, To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives his usual salutation, Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I uh, just remind you that this is something that every church needs and that every individual within every church needs on an everyday basis. God's grace and God's peace. Just think about it. If you have God's help, in every matter of life, with everything you face, every struggle you have, every burden on your heart, and then uh, you're able to trust Him for that and draw upon His help, His grace, on a regular basis, it's going to produce peace. And do we not need peace? (laughs) Well, we sure need peace in these days. Because there's much to be worried about, and it's so easy for all of us to get focused on all the problems that uh, abound in our nation, in the world today. But God produces peace when we stay our hearts and minds on Him. And then he says this in verse 3, and here's where we begin. He says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. He said, I, I, I am bound, I, I am obligated to thank God for you all the time. Now, he uses the present tense verb here when he says, are bound, which means an ongoing thing. And then he even adds the word always. So he's like, he's giving it a double emphasis. All the time, I am obligated to be thanking God for you on a regular basis, all the time, all the, every day. Uh, and, and there's a, a, a double emphasis to that. So Paul's not just saying a few nice words before he gets into what he really wants to say. He's, he's really commending this church. And he says... I am bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. Now, the verb here, grows exceedingly, means that it's, it just simply means that it's increasing. It's increasing. Their faith was increasing. The use of their faith was developing. Now, faith may be divine, may be defined as trust in God. Now, we all understand that it is by grace we are saved. That's God's gift, because He has to give us the gift of saliv- salvation. By grace are we saved, but it comes through faith. We have to put our personal faith in Jesus Christ, accepting the person of Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, unfortunately, we often you know, forget about faith from there on. But faith is something that we should exercise every day of our life. Because we trust in Jesus Christ, because we depend on God, and we we have our full trust in the Lord, we can function as we should in this world. Uh, Our faith, then, has to be exercised in everything we do. Uh, It has to be exercised with every challenge that we meet, with every problem that we encounter, and uh, everything that we are responsible to do as obedient believers. So... We have a point-in-time faith where it originated that brought us salvation, but then we have the continual use of our faith on a daily basis. And this is what Paul was talking about here when he says that the Thessalonians had a growing faith, an increasing faith. What he means is an ever-increasing use of their faith, an ever-increasing dependence upon their faith. Now, how did he know that? Because he could see the works they were doing. Look with me at James chapter 2 and verse 14. What does it profit, says James? What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, listen, the key to understanding this verse, and the book of James for that matter, on this subject of faith... Is right here. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith? Well, anybody can say they have faith, anybody can profess to have faith. But if that profession of faith, if that claim of faith, does not produce good works of some kind, then we have to question its existence. That's what James is saying. He's not saying that faith has to be accompanied by works to save us. No, we're saved by faith alone. But faith in Jesus Christ will produce a changed person, a new creation which is observable because of the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Now, if a person just claims to have faith, that's not the kind of faith that's going to save you. No, real faith that makes a change of your heart and character that makes you a new creation in Jesus Christ and produces fruit that people can see, that's saving faith. That's all he's saying. So, how did Paul know that the Thessalonian church had an ever-increasing faith? He could see it. He could see it in the works they were doing. Now, our work for Jesus Christ, our service, our faithfulness in worshiping him, worshiping Him, our obedience to Him, the way we live our life, all of that is wrapped up in this. And it's something that should be increasing. In other words, you should see more evidence of your faith today than was present in your life last year at this point in time. You should see a whole lot of difference between the faith that is in your life today than maybe what was there 10 years ago or 20 years ago, if you've been saved for a long time. A huge amount of increase. Faith is not something that at some point we retire from. You know, but I'm afraid a lot of Christians are... Used to be's, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Don't be a used to be. I, well, I used to be a Sunday school teacher. Well, I, I used to be a deacon. I used to be a nursery worker. Now I understand as we age and as we mature uh, some things maybe need to be set aside in, in preference to serving the Lord somewhere else. But our service continues somehow, some way. And our blessing, our, our service to others really grows, especially on a personal level. But I do, and I have over the years, run into a lot of Christians who, who talk in glowing terms about what they used to do. But there's absolutely no evidence that they're doing anything today. Now, like I say, we don't expect everybody to be doing the same thing they were doing in the past. But you need to be, there need to be some evidence. And, and I'm thinking right now of a man that I visited for years who, who, every time I visited, would talk in glowing terms about what he used to do in the church. But at present, he never darkened the door of the church. That's not a growing faith. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul expects us, you know, to increase in our dedication, to increase in our service, to uh, be more concerned about it, to be more plugged into it, engaged in the work of Jesus Christ. Again, it's not maybe the same thing, but it is something. And the more we mature in Christ, the more of that should be evident in our life. So Paul commends them for a developing faith. Now, a healthy church is going to be full of people that have a developing faith. A developing faith. Uh, Over the years, I've seen people, I've had people come to me and say, Uh, Pastor, I I feel like maybe I should teach a Sunday school class. They've never done it before. And they just, you know, they they jump in there and do that. And I've seen some of these same people come along and then become deacons or become uh, workers in the church and serve on committees. And and, and, and some of them, you know, actually over the years went into the ministry. So uh, that's a growing, developing faith. That's evidence of... When you see that in a church, that's evidence of a healthy church. But it all goes back to the individuals involved. Number two, our goal is to be a healthy church. What does that mean? Number one, it means we will have a developing faith. But number two, it means we will have an abundance of love. An abundance of love. Again, looking at verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you brethren as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. An abundance of love. That's what the word abounds means. It means to exist in abundance. To be to be far more than is even needed. To be in excess. So Paul, in looking at the Thessalonian church, and and, and he's evaluating them uh, and commending them for what's right in their church and in their individual lives, he says, not only a developing faith, but an abundance of love is present. Again, he says, And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. You know, our love begins by loving the brethren. That is, that, is, that is one of the greatest evidences of faith. Jesus said, people will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. It's in John 13. You can look up the verse. I can't remember. But anyway, he's talking here about a particular type of love. The word translated love is the familiar Greek word we often talk about, the word agape in the Greek. But it is limited in its use to indicate love that is sacrificial in nature. Love that is God-like. Love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved, there's the word, agape, agapeo. For God so loved the world that He did what? He gave His only begotten Son. But whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So love is observed by sacrificial effort, giving to other people, ministering, helping, serving. And that is on a horizontal plane, each other within the church. Now, our love also should be extended to those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God loved the whole world enough to give His only begotten Son. we should love the world, the lost world, around us enough to tell them about Jesus Christ, obviously. But, by the way, in Brother Rainer's discussion I mentioned as I introduced the sermon, they talked about the fact that evangelism is really suffering in the churches right now because of all this, this COVID thing. Well, that obviously, because n- n- nobody socially is allowed, to, or supposed to be together or very close together, it, it certainly is an inhibiting atmosphere for evangelism. I'm going to suggest to you there is a greater problem behind the lack of evangelism than COVID-19 in the pandemic and the social distancing and all that. And that problem is this. If we fail to love one another, we forget about loving the world out there. You understand what I'm saying? If we can't find it in our hearts to love one another in a sacrificial, giving way, we're not going to have any motivation to worry about someone who's lost and going to hell. We're just not. The more that we could grow and abound in our love for one another the more we will care and love those who do not know Christ. I think it goes hand in hand. So it is God-like love, and a love that continually abounds. Or It literally means just, it's in excess. It overflows. That's what he's talking about. Now, I have some plastic 55-gallon barrels at my house that I have. I did have, yeah, I still have two of them. They're, they're, I cut off an eavespout. And I plugged them into these barrels so that when it rains, the barrels fill up. And then down low on the barrel, there's a a spigot there with with a turn on it, open and close. And I did that because, number one, uh, every summer there would be something we planted that needed watering. Well, every time, for some reason, I don't know why, but every time I watered the plants uh, out of uh, the regular water supply, someone sends me a bill for that. So uh, you know why 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 do pay them to water my plants when I can do it for free by collecting water when it rains? Now here's the thing: if it rains really often, say it rains you know pretty much for a week or so or more, especially with the barrels half full when it starts, you know you go out there and the barrels just overflowing. There's a, there's an abundance of water in that barrel. Well, that's good. Except that all that overflow is pretty much wasted. Because I'm not growing plants right around a barrel. But when I attach a hose to the spigot and I open up the faucet and, and water, but then by gravity begins to flow through that hose and goes to a plant that needs water. Now I'm targeted and my overflow is productive in ways that it could not possibly be done otherwise. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. We tend to think of love as being that barrel full of water. We, oh, I got a lot of love, man. I'm, you know, I, yeah, I, I love my my family, and 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 I love the brethren, and and I, and I love my country. Though well, that's that's something a lot of people are missing today. And uh, I love you know the the, the people I work with, and so on. And we we think we, we you know we we think we love everybody because we feel uh, an inner compulsion or uh, we have an emotion there but man you've got first of all to to fill up but you got to do more than that it's got to be targeted you've got to express that love you've got to open the faucet you know you just can't sit around and say well you know i'm just overflowing here here i am i'm at home i'm just overflowing you know a big puddle of water down here at my feet i'm doing what's right but it's not affecting anybody until you you Connect something, and you focus your love, and you, and you do something more to put it where it needs to be. And this, I think, is what was happening at the church in Thessalonica. And this is what Paul was talking about. They, they had a love for each other that flowed to the needs that were there. And they were needy, and we're going to see this more as we go on. Uh, because they were enduring persecution. So, God-like love will overflow, but it needs to be harnessed, and it needs to be activated, and we need to have a, a, a mindset, an intention, and a dedication. Because, look, love, as the word agape tells us, is something that is done, something that is accomplished. It is a sacrificial effort in behalf of others. It's not just an internal feeling. So, uh, an abundance of love. Now, I want to put another verse up here for you from Luke chapter 12, verse 48. And I want to remind you of this. Now, Jesus has just given a parable about seven servants who had the opportunity to be faithful and and, uh, be good stewards and all that. And and some had failed. And, and because of that, uh, he talks about how the master is very harsh with them. So this is not, this is a parable. You draw one point of application from a parable. Now this is, has nothing to do about, you know, God's punishment or eternal punishment. We'll, we'll get into that subject soon enough in 2 Thessalonians. But he says, but the one who did not know it, and he's talking about one of those seven, the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. Okay? The servant would get little punishment, a few stripes or whatever the, 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 the gruff master determined, because he did it unknowingly. So, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone, now here's the opposite of that. For everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. So there's another side of the coin. If if much has been entrusted to someone and they purposely and willfully do not make use of their uh, assets for the glory of whoever it is they're serving. In this case, in the parable, it was a, 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 a human master. But the implication in Jesus' teaching is, in reference to God, when God gives you much, much will be required when it comes time for God to judge your life in, in re, uh, regard to rewards. Not your salvation, because that's settled and that's covered by the blood of Christ. But your eternal rewards, the judgment seat of Christ, and such... you're you're going to be rewarded based on what you did with what you received. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, I, I didn't get very much in the way of talents or abilities. That's okay. Use what you got to the fullest of your ability, and you can be just as blessed, just as rewarded, as somebody who received a lot of talents and a lot of abilities and a lot of opportunities, who also took advantage of theirs. But... You don't want to be in a situation where whatever it is that God gave you, little or much that you just sat on it and did nothing with it. And listen, people who have been given much in this world will be judged on that basis. If someone has a lot of assets, they've made a lot of money, They have a lot of ability to be a blessing to the cause of Christ or to needy people, and they do not become generous, they do not become sacrificial in their love, it's all wasted. It's all going to burn up, it's of no use. That's that's the end result. Now, let me give you the opposite of that. Here's a man, his name, and I I don't know if he's still living, his name either is or was Robert Cosby. Robert Cosby was a medical doctor, a general practitioner in Alabama, who back in the mid-90s, not only, I'm sure he did pretty well as a medical doctor, but not only that, but He had bought a lot of stock in a particular airline, and the stock went way up, and he ended up netting something like $3.5 million on the sale of the stock. So, having been impressed by the Jesus film that was being used by Campus Crusade, I think at the time, he purchased nearly 2 million copies. When they hauled it into the warehouse that he had acquired to store the copies, they came in in 21 tractor trailers. He spent all of that $3.5 million giving everybody that he could in the state of Alabama the Jesus film based on the Gospel of Luke. That's overflowing. That's opening the spigots, okay? That's turning it on, you see. Uh, That's not what most people probably would have chosen to do. So, to be a healthy church, to be a healthy Christian for that matter, there needs to be a developing faith and an abundance of love. Now, one other characteristic Paul adds to this. There will also be a demonstration of perseverance. A demonstration of perseverance. Let's go back to our text. Verse 4. So that. Now the so that, that's a, that's a conjunction in the original, which indicates a result. So, what he is saying is, if you have an increasing faith, and your, your love is overflowing, outflowing... One of the things you're going to also see in your life is this matter of perseverance. So that, Paul says, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So, Paul says, uh, you know, I I point out to you, you're a great example to others. That's what he means by boast. It's It's not a human... Uh, proud boasting here that he's talking about. But he commends them. And he uses them as an example to other churches. Why? For your patience. Now, the word patience, as it was translated way back in the 1500s, may well have meant more than it does today. I don't know. But today, we think of patience as being, you know, the ability to just kind of you know, overlook somebody's faults for a little bit or endure some misfortune or uh, endure a little bit of pain for a little while. Just, just, just being patient. The Greek word here is far, far more meaningful. It means to have a huge, heavy burden placed on you, a, a, a burden that weighs you down. A burden that hinders you uh, a burden that stresses you and strains you and yet to bear up under that burden that's what the word means you think of, uh, of someone uh, with a heavy heavy pack on their back I don't know what a heavy backpack would be I mean uh, soldiers might carry what how much 35 pounds? Hey, whips? 35 pounds? <laughs> that's, <well known. laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. That 35 pounds feels more like 350 after you've been on, on the hike for a while, I'm sure. Uh, but think in terms of 300. We probably couldn't even lift 350 pounds. But let's multiply that 35 by 10. You, you're not going to make it 100 yards. It's a heavy, heavy burden. And Paul says, it's this kind of burden that I'm talking about you bearing up under. Now, obviously, he's talking in a figurative sense of all the trials and problems that they were facing in Thessalonica, which he mentions here, and he calls all your persecutions and tribulations. Persecutions means that that's what's perpetrated against us by unbelievers and evil people, uh, instigated and propagated or, or uh, produced uh, as a result of satan's work that 's what's coming against us is opposition and then we just have tribulation you know just just living day to day is tribulation just growing older is tribulation just facing health issues is tribulation just losing your job is tribulation so you you 've got both of that and 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 from both of these perspectives, all being piled up on the Thessalonians here. Paul says, you are are bearing up wonderfully, given what you're up against. But now look at it again. So, verse 4, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith. Why does he mention faith again? Because patience, perseverance, is a result of faith. See, faith, which brings us into the family of God, faith, which should captivate our lives and characterize our lives on a daily basis, produces or helps produce overflowing love and everyday perseverance. Why? Why? Well, because we know that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We we not only believe that he is, as the writer of Hebrews says, but we believe that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. so faith means that we have reason to be persevering and enduring, doing what we should no matter what we're up against. So the Thessalonian church knew much about that. We know little about it here in America. We're we're fixing to know a whole lot more about it, I'm afraid, in the years ahead. Now, so that you, we boast of your faith among the churches of God for your perseverance, your patience, your, your ability to bear up under persecution and tribulation. Now, endurance is not a characteristic that is normally desired. <laughs> you know, we, we don't normally say, well, well, if I could just learn to endure, you know. No, but no, nobody really says that because we don't want to have to endure. We, we want a nice, easy life. We don't want struggles. We don't want... Tribulations, And we don't want persecution. And, 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 and we don't want devastating health problems and all that. We don't want any of that. Who would? That's, that's only normal. But God, being God, loves us more on an eternal basis than he does on the, this human level for a few years. Wants to produce Christ's likeness in us. So he measures out. Some tribulation and some problems. And and, uh, then when we learn to endure those, he might even add to the load. And when we learn to endure there, he may even add some more. He doesn't do it on an everyday basis without relenting, but time to time in life. If you have lived a pretty good long life, you have faced a lot of problems. You have faced a lot of difficulties. You have faced a lot of burdens, And if you have remained faithful to Jesus Christ, obedient to God in the midst of them, then you can say, I have persevered. I have exercised patience. That is the greatest, perhaps, the greatest of all character qualities that we could ever produce in this life. I often say it this way: This is our only opportunity in eternity to serve God in less than perfect circumstances. Think about that. Do you want to? Do you want to go to heaven someday and say, "Yeah, yeah I'm serving God here," and we will be. But what would prevent you from it then? Do you want to? Have, do you want to look back on on the life you lived on this <coughs> earth and think what? You know, when it was difficult, I didn't do it. I think that's going to be factored in to the rewards that God will give. Back in 1999, there was an article came out in the News News and Observer. It was an article about Dale Evans Rogers. Now, for you young guys, you have no idea who Dale Evans was unless you watch really old cowboy stuff on TV. But Roy Rogers and Dale Evans in the 1950s, that that was the American, you know, as American as you can get. Uh, she she was known as America's cowgirl. And uh, she had her own horse. And he, he, I can't remember his name. I always remember Roy's horse, the name Trigger, but I can't remember hers. But... Uh, I grew up as a kid in the late 50s, early 60s, watching the Roy Rogers show on TV. Of course, he made a lot of movies, too. And uh, we could certainly use a lot of good, clean entertainment like that in this day and age. Well, the News and Observer published an article, and somebody, whoever wrote the article, and I'm not sure it was anyone on their staff, had interviewed Dale Evans Rogers. She was at that time up in her high 80s. I'm sure, and I, I know she's passed on now. But at this point in her life, in her mid to upper 80s, although she had nine children, a number of them were adopted. <laughs> they lost three. Uh, one at two years age, two years of age, one as a teenager in a bus accident, Another when he was in the military service, so uh, it had a lot of lot of grief, a lot of loss, and then as they interviewed Dale Evans Rogers, Roy had just recently passed away. She lost her husband. Now, on top of that, within a, a few years span before this interview, she had had a devastating heart attack and almost died. Then she had a stroke that left her confined to a wheelchair. This is where she's at in life. Adele Evans was, and has been known, of course, for her vibrant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just read you some of her comments in this article. She said this. She said, God is good in His benefits, I know, she says, for he has cushioned the hardest moments of my life and given me strength to go on. However hard the way has been, I am at peace. Forgetting that which is behind, I press toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. I know I can trust him. What's that faith? She continues. She said, God is bigger than, than any disability, love him, appreciate his blessings, and trust him for the rest of your journey, he puts a rainbow at the end of the hardest trail. That's some wise words from a woman who knew what it was to have great success in life, great blessing from God, but at the same time to have great loss and hardship along the way. He has given me strength, she said, to go on. That's perseverance. That's what serving Jesus Christ means. From the moment you put your faith in Jesus to the day comes He calls you home or the Lord returns, be found faithful. Persevere. Let's put it this way as we kind of make application and conclude. Spiritual Spiritually healthy churches consist then of spiritually healthy people. Right? Obviously. Paul was talking to a group of Christians, individuals, men, women, young people. That, that is the case that we're talking about individual response here. We're not just preaching a sermon about the church in general. and No, we're talking about you. Are you a healthy believer, a healthy Christian, a healthy member of the body of Christ? Are you spiritually healthy? Well, there's three good evaluators for you. You have a growing faith, overflowing love, and are you persevering? Put those three measures against your life. And ask yourself the question, am I spiritually healthy?